Okay, good evening. Excuse me. Good evening. Um, for those of you new here, I'm Charles Small. I'm the director of the Yale Initiative for the Interdisciplinary Study of Antisemitism here at Yale University. Yale uh, started this initiative in September of 2006. We're the fourth research center in the entire world and the first in North America doing research focusing on issues of anti-Semitism and contemporary issues of anti-Semitism. The other research centers are at the Technical University in Berlin, the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and Tel Aviv University, uh, the Stephen Roth Institute at Tel Aviv University, and there's a contingent of scholars from Tel Aviv from the Center of Iranian Studies who are here for a conference that we just finished today. The conference that we just finished today was entitled Understanding the Challenge of Iran. And I must say, I was speaking earlier today, that last year when Elie Wiesel came to Yale University and he spoke at the Yale Law School, he spoke to a packed audience of some of the finest minds in the country, students and faculty, the students being the future generation of leaders that are, will come out of, inevitably come out of this institution. And Elie Wiesel was speaking about the possibility of another Holocaust which for me and, and some of the people that were there with me was at one level absurd and at another level pathetic, if you will. That here was Elie Wiesel, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, somebody who survived the Holocaust and has spent his entire life educating people not just about the Holocaust and not just about the one and a half million people that perished in the Shoah and the Holocaust, but trying to teach people to act that when you see an injustice, you cannot be a bystander, that there's a moral obligation and an ethical obligation to do something. And then Elie Wiesel went on to say that if this was not disturbing enough, that the fact that there's a possibility of another Holocaust, that people are planning at this very moment the extermination of the Jewish people in the Middle East, in Israel, the destruction of Israel and the extermination of Israelis. That at this very moment, this is what significant groups of people are planning. And Elie Wiesel went on to say if that this is not enough, the thing that really disturbed him was the inactivity, the, the nonchalance, the inaction of the Jewish community, of the student community, of the faculty, of the human rights community, of leaders of our government in the Western world who at its very core believe in democracy, of human rights, in the values of enlightenment, and of citizenship, and that nobody was doing anything. And this was the thing that really disturbed him. And I must say that I think as somebody who's running a center on issues of contemporary anti-Semitism, that it's unbelievable that this is a threat that we have to face in our generation. And I'm reminded of the generations of people that preceded us, the people who helped to establish the state of Israel. They gave a lot all over the world to help establish the state of Israel. When I was a student, we fought apartheid, we fought for the rights of Soviet Jews, and met with success. And I guess the challenge that I will lay out for you, from, from, from my perspective at least, is for the students and for the faculty and for people in, who care about issues of human rights, that we must be active and we must come, here, come to this issue in a creative, intelligent way, that these issues are profoundly important. We've just spent two days dealing with what we call understanding the challenge of Iran from a legal perspective, from a human rights perspective, and from a strategic perspective. And the issues, as you will hear tonight again, are very severe and very serious. And when I go around speaking, one of the things that I ask the audience, and I won't ask you here, but think about it, is how many people have read the Hamas Charter? How many people have read a, a, a fatwa? How many people are engaged with the ideology of what is out there threatening the Jewish people? And as students, as scholars, as human rights activists, we have to educate ourselves because education is power. And we have to engage these ideas. So this evening, it's a very special event uh, to be able to introduce Shaul Mufaz to you Mr. Mufaz will be speaking. The title of his talk is The Iranian Regime, Nuclear Ambitions, Ideology, and International Challenges. 
Mr. Mufaz is the dep acting deputy prime minister of the government of Israel. He's also the minister of transportation and road safety. He was the chief of staff of the IDF. He was from 1986, sorry, from 1986 to 1988, the commander of the paratroop brigade of the IDF. He was promoted in 1988 to the uh, brigadier general. He held senior positions in the ground corps command. In 1990 to 1992, he was the commander of the Gilil Formation. He was an officer, commanding officer of the IDF forces in Judea and Samaria. In 1994, he was promoted to Major General. In 96 and 97, he was the chief of the planning branch of the general staff. In 1997, he became the deputy chief of, gen of the general staff and the chief of staff, staff branch. From 1998 to 2002, he was the 16th Chief of Staff of the IDF. So it's a tremendous honor with this background in uh, defending Israel's right to, to exist and to be there that the Yale Initiative for the Interdisciplinary uh, Study uh, welcomes Deputy Prime Minister Shaul Mufaz. Good evening, everybody. I'm very glad uh, to be here tonight. Thank you uh, to Professor Charles uh, Small about your uh, introduction. And uh, the very important uh, jobs that you are doing uh, here in the Yale University. Good evening to my friend, Professor uh, David Menashri, and uh, to all of you. This evening is a symbolic uh, evening. Tonight, uh, the State of Israel bows its head and uh, commemorates the memory of uh, the six million uh, Jews that uh, were murdered in uh, the Holocaust. This is an uh, evening uh, the Jewish people uh, remembers and reminds that this care on mankind was not forgotten and will never be forgotten. Tonight, the Jewish people say, never again. In a week, the State of Israel will uh, celebrate its uh, 60th uh, anniversary. There is nothing more symbolic uh, to describe the triumph and strength of the Jewish people in their state. The Second World War was a historical crossroad in human history after which nothing stayed as it, is, at, uh, as it was. Such moments are few and uh, far between in the history of mankind, and I believe we are standing in one today. We have learned that uh, history is done to repeat itself. This time around, we have the responsibility to ensure that it will never never repeat itself. I would like to share with you my view of Iran as someone who was born in Iran and left at the young age of nine. I have a strong uh, connection and uh, appreciation for the Iranian civilization and culture and also for the Iranian people. My story is like the stories of many here I assume, that came from various uh, places in the world to countries where freedom and democracy are a natural, uh, natural way of life. We found ourselves at a historical crossroads, perhaps the most important crossroad of the 21st century. In the 21st century, the Iranian regime is a central threat against humanity. It is a multidimensional and multi-branch threat which grows stronger day by day, hour by hour. The strategic struggle we are facing today is a struggle for 
our way of life and our values. This is a struggle for the future, the shape and the character of the world we will live in, and world which will be left to you as your legacy. This is not a regional question, rather a question that concerns the whole world. At the center of the discussion stands the Iranian threat and its wide effects on the region. Iran strives for regional hegemony with reach and status beyond the Middle East to become a world power and a player in the international arena. It strives to establish and lead an Islamic Middle East to be run according to the principle and values of the Islamic revolution and extreme regime law. Iran views the achievement of military nuclear capability as a means of achieving its goals. In this reality, Iran's wish to become a hegemony in a region where two-thirds of the world oil reserves lie and a third of the gas reserves lie does not have only a regional influence, but an influence on the global balance of power and global economy. I want to emphasize that the State of Israel is merely a part in this game, but Iran is using it as a railing point. In the Iran view, Israel must be whipped of the map, but it should be made perfectly clear. This is a byproduct and is not the primary target. The way in which the Iranian president speaks of Israel and of his wish to whip it of the face of the earth is a clever ploy pandering to the hostility against Israel and the Jewish people, which unfortunately still exist. Identifying the Iranian threat as an Israeli problem serves Iranian interest and helps the international Delegitimization of the struggle against Iran. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an Iranian tactic designed to divert our attention away from the real problem. At the same time, we cannot ignore the fact that a nuclear Iran represents a real existential threat against the State of Israel. This is a threat that jeopardizes the existence of uh, the Jewish state, the state of Israel cannot accept a nuclear Iran. This time the Jewish people will not let it happen. And I would like to believe that uh, the, the world will not let it happen and, and uh, any all means to ensure that it does not happen are justified. I believe that uh, this is a critical year with uh, regard to the Iranian nuclear program. The enrichment phase is critical to determining the rate of the program's progress. The coming year is critical in this sense, a year in which Iran is liable to acquire enrichment technology. In our estimation, it is possible that in a few months, few months, less than a year, Iran could succeed in gaining control of the technology required to enrich uranium for the sake of a nuclear bomb. That is to say, it is possible that within less than one year, Iran will succeed in breaking a technological barrier. At the same time, Iran is continuing to develop its ballistic capabilities as part of a very ambitious program capable of reaching any European capital city and one day will be capable of reaching the eastern seaboard of the United States. Furthermore, Iran is developing a space program 
under civilian cover, but we have to understand that capability of sending object, objects into space is of clear strategic significance. A country with this capability has the power to attack any location, anywhere on the face of the planet. There is no doubt that a ballistic program of this scope is intended to, for military goals uh, that extend beyond the Middle East and is apparently designed for nuclear goals. So far, the international response to the Iranian threat is currently focusing on the diplomatic channel. Under the leadership of the United States, this is part of the strategies that we have agreed upon during our strategic dialogue. It talks about a three-way effort. I would like to emphasize that in the last two years, as a Deputy Prime Minister, I am at the head of uh, the Israeli group for the strategic dialogue with the United States. And the main issues that we are discussing in the last uh, two years, we had four meetings uh, last year, and this year two meetings. The last one took place yesterday in Washington. And our goal is to estimate the threat and to set up our policy toward the Iranian nuclear plan. What we agreed and achieved so far says that uh, our policy based on three principles. First, a wide and united front against the Iranian nuclear program. Second, a list of sanctions against Iran, mainly financial sanctions and economic sanctions. And third, we said clear-cut that all options are on the table. So far, the sanctions were effective by influencing the Iranian financial and economic aspects. But they are not effective by stopping the Iranian to continue their nuclear program. At the same time that we are doing a tremendous effort to stop the Iranian nuclear program, we see certain countries that are determined to stay united, but at the same time we are seeing too many countries that are adopting an appeasement policy towards Iran. And the main reason is economic reason. And as I said, we have a responsibility to ensure that history will not repeat itself in this case, time is of the essence and it is running out. And the Iranian, part of the Iranian policy is to gain time, to buy time. It is vital to stand united against Iran. The appeasement policy did not prove effective thus far. And in the Middle East, it is preserved as a sign of weaknesses. At the same time, the regime continues to be worried by a serious internal challenges facing it. I mean the Iranian regime. Alienation among young people, violent activity on the part of the minority groups, and economic hardship, some of which may even have increased to a certain degree. We have to remember that Ahmadinejad was elected president because of his declared intention to take from the rich and give to the poor. 
And because of uh, his uh, promises to turn his attention to the internal provision in Iran society. A look at Iran society shows that uh, despite rising incomes from oil sales and the regime's promises to funnel uh, revenues to the weaker social strata, the economic situation in Iran is dreadful. The rate of unemployment is high. Inflation has grown to about 20%, and about a million Iranians are living in a dire poverty. However, at the same time, change can grow from the bottom up. Someone uh, who was born in Iran and closely follows uh, what happens there, I can tell you that the majority of the Iranian people do not share the desire of its leaders. Iran is no stranger to revolutions. I have great belief in the will, power, and strength of the Iranian people. The dissatisfaction with the government is growing, particularly among young students and women who see themselves as the main victim of the policies of the present rulers. More and more voices on the Iranian street can be heard wondering why do we worry so much about the Hezbollah and the Palestinian when we are lacking so much at home. We do not know what is that will make the Iranian people revolt but we must continue to search for the important pressure points to hasten the process of international internal change in Iran and to undermine the legitimacy of uh, the current government. The working assumption is that adding another straw and another straw will in the end break the camel's back. The conclusion arising from this analysis is that the Iranian regime is trying to maneuver between its long-term ambitions and its ambition to survive. We have a point it in the right direction. We have to point it in, in the right direction. I believe that the diplomatic channel is the best and most appropriate one at this time, but we must synchronize our watch with two different schedules in mind. The schedule of Iranian progress and the schedule of the sanctions impact. In the event that these schedules do not fit, we must take any options off the table. And we must be prepared for any scenario. I would like to add and say that uh, from our best knowledge, we know that the Iranian has two nuclear programs. One which is uh, uncovered, and we speak about it, and the second one is covered, and it is a military program. We do have a, a good intelligence and a sharing intelligence with the U.S., but I cannot promise you that we have all the information about the military program so far. In our strategic dialogue, we are sharing estimation, we are sharing information, we are sharing uh, possible scenarios, and we discussed in the last meeting the fact that the radical group in our region, led by Iran, Syria, the Hezbollah and Hamas, gaining power and becoming stronger year by year. This year they are stronger than 
the last year. More than that, we see the influence of the radical group on our region vis-a-vis -vis Damascus, South Lebanon, the Hezbollah, the Hamas in Gaza. And I believe that uh, without the presence of uh, Israel troops and the IDF within the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, the Iranian foothold could reach even this area. And from our perspective, it is very, very important that the Iranian will stop their influence in our region. Today, I can tell you that because of the Iranian support, the Hezbollah gaining more and more power. Since the last day of the Second Lebanese War, the Hezbollah doubled his power so far, and they have more long-range rockets. They doubled the number of the long-range rockets that cover most of the area in the state of Israel. And we know that because of uh, the support of uh, the radical groups, Iran, Syria, the Hamas took over in Gaza. And at the same time that we are sitting here in this wonderful hall, members of the Hezbollah and Hamas sitting in the same room in Tehran, having direction about terror activity against the state of Israel. And it's open a big dilemma about the situation within the Palestinian Authority. And I would like to say a few words about it because it links to the fact that Iran desired to have a nuclear capability and under the umbrella of the nuclear capabilities, they will deepen their terror activity against us. A year ago, June 07, the Hamas became powerful and uh, they took over in Gaza and today they are controlling Gaza. They throw out the Palestinian security groups and we see a different, a strategic different situation within the Palestinian Authority. In Gaza, a terror organizations control this area and the population. They don't recognize the state of Israel. They want to destroy the state of Israel. They are continuing to attack the roads, Ashkelon, and other areas around Gaza by rockets and by terror activity. At the same time, we see a moderate leader in the West Bank, but a guy that doesn't control the area. And the fact that uh, we don't see a waves of suicide bombers attack and the waves of uh, terror activity against us, it is because of the IDF activity against terror within the Palestinian towns and within the West Bank. And the dilemma today is who will be the leader of the Palestinian entity, the Hamas or the PLO. And it is a very big difference because the Hamas is part of the radical group. And I don't see in the coming months or in the next year the PLO, led by Abu Mazen, 
which is a very weak leader without troops taking over the Palestinian entity and becoming a leader that will unite the two parts of the Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank. And we will have one address and one partner for having negotiation and, and hopefully a possible agreement in the future. I would like to say that uh, at the same time that we are facing a very difficult uh, situation within Gaza, we see in South Lebanon, on top of uh, the growing power of uh, the Hezbollah, that Resolution 1701 that was achieved uh, at the end of the Second Lebanese War does not work. There is no enforcement and implementation of Resolution 1701. We don't have our soldiers back. We don't see the Hezbollah move uh, to the northern part of the Litani River. And uh, we see more and more long-range rockets coming to the hand of the Hezbollah. So, I usually say that uh, the situation is very complicated, but the picture is very clear. We are living in a very uh, difficult uh, area. Our uh, achievement so far for peace was uh, done by tremendous effort of uh, the governments of uh, the State of Israel, and we were successful to achieve peace with Egypt and Jordan, which is a strategic achievement. But knowing the Iranian threat, which is an existential threat against the State of Israel, knowing their goals, understanding the ideological belief of the Hamas, and the Islamic Jihad, we should move step by step forward and not run for achieving any kind of agreement without having first security for the State of Israel. I believe that the policy that said peace first and after we will achieve security failed. And we started to adopt a few years ago, when I was a defense minister and uh, Sharon uh, was uh, the prime minister, we adopted the policy that security first and the security will bring peace. And I believe that this should be the right policy. So, there is no doubt that uh, what is happening in the Palestinian arena is also the result of the regional events. The radical access in the regime grew stronger, grew stronger as the hold of the Abu Mazen's Palestinian Authority grew weaker. Hamas grew stronger in Gaza Strip and this led to Hamas taking complete control of the area. And I would like to share with you some of my experience dealing with terror organizations. Terror organizations does not have political leaders. They have terror leaders. And one of the main questions that uh, I was asked and uh, the members of uh, the general staff in 2002 was asked how we are going to stop the waves of the suicide bombers attack at this time. And we decided that we will enter 
by land force to each of the Palestinian towns and refugee camps within the West Bank. There are eight Palestinian towns and 12 refugee camps. And in Gaza, we will implement a different policy. Which was the policy? What was the policy? The policy said we should target the leaders, we should destroy the infrastructures, we have to stop the fuel, first the money which is the fuel for the continuation of the terror activity, and second the fuel for continuing to produce Qassam rockets and other terror tools against us. And I believe that we should adopt this strategy today and to have deterrence against the Hamas and the Jihad in Gaza. The moment we start to target the leaders, to destroy day by day their infrastructure, to stop the money and the fuel, we will build deterrence against the Hamas and the Jihad. Now, it is very important to negotiate with the Palestinians. I'm not against peace. Believe me that after 40 years in the security field, I know exactly the price of the war and the price for peace. And I am in favor of continuing to negotiate with the Palestinians. But we have to move according to the roadmap plan, step by step, and they should fight against the terror activity. Without any achievement from the Palestinian side, it will be impossible to reach an agreement with the Palestinians. And those that believe that until the end of this year, we will be able to achieve a peace agreement with the Palestinians, including the core issues, I would say that it is impossible. More than that, I believe that Jerusalem should be united as a capital of the state of Israel forever. And, and we have not touch this issue, and speaking about borders, we have to understand the state of Israel needs a defendable borders. We all know that 30 years ago, the Iranians were one of our best allies. We have a very good relationship with them like the relationships that we have today with the Western countries. And 30 years after, they are the main threat against the State of Israel. We cannot predict what will happen in the other countries. So we have to have defendable borders that will be based on the settlement groups like Marei Domim, Gush Etzion, Efrat, Ariel, and the others. And the Bika Valley, Jordan Valley. We cannot say, well, we have today a partner, let's give them the border of 67, and 25 years, 30 years from now, our children, Generations to come will stand in front of impossible power and impossible border to defend the State of Israel. And I believe that uh, we have to strengthen the moderate leaders on the Palestinian side to give them 
a better economic situation, to allow them a better economic situation, and to give them the time to build a united entity. We will not make one agreement with Abu Mazen and one day a second agreement with the leaders, whatever they will be, in Gaza. So we need determination. We should be very responsible for generations to come. And in conclusion, as I said uh, at the outset, we find ourselves at a historical crossroads. This is a historical occasion, and such occasion occur but a few in human history. In the life of country, in the life of a people, the Jewish people knows this better than anyone else. The free world must stand determined and strong against the radical and dangerous camp threatening our liberty and our values. This time, no leader can say we didn't know, we didn't understand, and significance. This time, the entire world and Israel, as part of it, must once again seize the initiative and do everything necessary to ensure a future of peace and prosperity for generations to come after us. I thank you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to stand here and to speak to you. And I would like to thank the hostess here at Yale for allowing me to come and to speak. And I hope that you will continue to support the State of Israel because we need your support. We need the support of the people in the U.S. We need the support of the U.S. administration. We need the support of the Western countries. But the State of Israel is a very strong state. We have strong people. We have strong armed forces. And uh, we will be determined to achieve security and peace for the future of the State of Israel. Thank you very much. You want to take questions? Yeah, we'll take a few questions. So, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Mufaz has agreed to take some questions. Would anybody like to take a question? Uh, easy, please, easy questions. <laughs> Take a couple of questions. Alon. Can you speak uh, a little bit loud?
Well, uh, such question uh, has a very easy uh, answer. Comparing the others. <laughs> Comparing the others. Believe me, I know the history of Abu Mazen. He's not Zionist. What, what, in what means to go back to Gaza Strip? To the part that we came back to Israel, to the, to the north side of the Gaza Strip. This, the same territory that Hamas uh, is shooting down, Misa, Jerusalem. And the second question is, right now, I hear, the earth, as far as I know, there are talks about returning Judah to Samaria also. Do you think that's going to be a smart move? And, and how can you be part of the kind of... Who said so? In the news. In the news. Yeah. Oh. That's my Ask the news. Okay, I will start to answer because uh, we will spend all the night here. Uh, well, there are some differences between the intelligence estimation between Israel and the U.S. You have to know it. Uh, we believe that our estimation is uh, more close to the reality. But uh, you probably heard about uh, the NIE report. We brought some very important evidence to the U.S. intelligence in order to change their estimation. And in the last dialogue, they said, we are in the process of learning the evidence and hopefully at the end of this year, we will say our report. So far, they, we see a big gap between our estimation and the U.S. estimation. Now, speaking about uh, the the timetable and uh, the, te the technological uh, braille. The main issue is the enrichment of the uranium. You have to know that uh, the Iranians are superpower in all means, speaking about long-range ballistic missiles. They have already missiles uh, to the range of two thousand kilometers, and they are working to have surface-to-surface -surface missiles that will cover most of the capital of the European countries. And one day, the seashore, the eastern seashore of uh, the U.S. And they have a, a very sophisticated technology, but about the enrichment, they have a lot of difficulties. To 
have this technology, it means that the centrifuges should work in a very high capacity, and they are not there. Now, it is a question of months, maybe years. It is very hard to predict because, as I said, they have two nuclear programs. We know much more about the uncover program. We know less about the military. But we are working on it. Now, it will be a very bad step to give to the Iranian all the infrastructures for civilian purposes. Could you believe to them? Could you count on them? They have a goal. They want to destroy the state of Israel. And uh, I suggest to all of us to take it in a very, very serious way. Could we have deterrence against the Iranian? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. We said clear-cut that all options are on the table. We cannot speak more than that. But we have to be prepared for any scenario. And if diplomatic steps and diplomatic channels will not be successful, we should think about other options. Because it is not only an existential threat against the State of Israel. It will be a different world the moment Iran will have a nuclear power. Speaking about Gaza and the West Bank, uh, I answered about Abu Mazen. Uh, Gaza is the most uh, populated area in the world. And it is one block. The West Bank, you have eight, as I said, eight uh, towns, 12 refugee camps. You can enter to one, you can surround the other. In Gaza, you enter to one area, you enter to all the block in Gaza. I don't believe that it is a smart move, from my knowledge, to mobilize 40,000 reserve soldiers, to send 60,000, 70,000 soldiers within Gaza, and my question is, what will happen a day after? What now? Okay. We were successful by taking Gaza, fighting against the terrorists. After two weeks, three weeks, one month, what now? And this question is a very big question and a strategic question. And this is the reason that uh, during defensive shield operation, we decided to enter to the Palestinian towns in the West Bank, but not to Gaza, and to find a different strategy. And it was successful, the strategy that we decided to implement. Three years, the Hamas was out of the terror activity since June 2004 until June 2007. And because they became powerful and they uh, were capable of uh, destroying uh, the Palestinian uh, security uh, groups, they felt and they feel today that they are powerful enough to start again to fight against the State of Israel. And I believe that deterrence is the main response to the Hamas terror activity against us. Speaking about Judea and Samaria, it is a different story. 
I can tell you that when I was in uniform, I believed that we are doing a mistake by staying within Gaza. Ask why? Because Gaza is not part of our national and our security interest. But the group of the settlements and the Jordan Valley are part of our national and security interest. This is a very big difference between Gaza and the West Bank. We know, the people that lived within Gaza know, knew, the government of Israel knew that we will not stay forever in Gaza. And we paid a lot of price, a very big price, the life of Jewish people, the life of soldiers, and thanks God that today we are not within Gaza with 12,000 Jewish people and some thousands of soldiers. And I believe that it was a historic decision and historic implementation. We did some mistakes. There is no doubt about it. The way that uh, we handled and we supported or we didn't support the people that lived uh, within uh, Gaza in Gush Katif, it is a very big mistake of the state of Israel. But the decision was the right decision. We will not leave Male Domim. We will not leave Gush Etzion. We will not leave Ephrat. We will not leave the Jordan Valley. We will not leave Ariel. Because these group settlements are the key for the, border, the future of the border of the State of Israel. And uh, these settlers that live there, they will be remembering the, our history as a people that supported the State of Israel to have and to create the eastern border of Israel as a defendable border. And believe me, this is a very big achievement for them and for us. Now, there are areas that we should uh, leave. This is right. But I don't believe that uh, we should take the decisions now. We can speak about it, but we cannot take the decisions now when we see the radical group becoming more and more powerful. Powerful. We see more and more the influence of the Iranian. We see how the Hamas taking over Gaza and becoming more and more strong. And we should move step by step and see what is happening within the Palestinian Authority. And all these talks about uh, having agreement at the end of this year, and maybe we have a shelf agreement, which is something that I, don't, I cannot understand. And it could become one day as a deposit with a different Palestinian Authority and will danger the security of the State of Israel. And I told to President Bush in his last visit in Israel, don't push us to an agreement that will jeopardize the state of Israel. And he said, you got it. But we should stand and see that we are doing the right things, the right steps in the right way. And I believe that we strong we are a very strong nation, having the support of you here in the U.S. and the other countries, and most of the democratic countries that are continuing to fight against terrorism and knowing the threat of uh, 
Iran having a nuclear power, and knowing that we, the Jewish people, believe in peace, pray for peace, and I believe that uh, one of the most achievements of the State of Israel in the last 60 years are the peace agreement with Egypt and Jordan. And we, we have to continue to build up and to negotiate by achieving more and more peace with our neighbors. But the policy should be security first, and by having security and a sense of security, we will achieve peace. Well, it is too late. I see that uh, you have a very in intensive two days speaking about the Iranian issue and uh, the other issues that uh, threatening the Middle East and our region. Again, I would like to thank you for coming and for inviting me. Uh, I hope that uh, the State of Israel will do their best for the future of generations to come, and uh, I will accomplish my remarks by saying, I'm Israel Chai. So, so on behalf of ISA, I'd like to thank the Deputy Prime Minister of Israel, Shaul Mufaz, for the honor of uh, being here. And I'd also like to thank David Manashri from Tel Aviv University for making this evening possible. And thank you for coming.